Whenever life's storm is strong, the ride is rough, the wait is long, or the pressure is great, God encourages us to endure. He calls his people to weather the storms, hang in there for the long haul, bear up under the load, and sweat it out. Why? Because when we endure through the hard times in life, we experience the greatest moments of joy, hope, harmony, and reward from God. So, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured. It's good to see you all today on two feet. What a great day this is. Hey, thank you for coming this morning and being a part of our worship together. Uh, my name is Doug. I'm the interim pastor here at Trinity, and I've been told the newest bionic man here at Trinity. So thanks for praying for my recent right knee transplant, and things are going good. Hey, uh, last week, Pastor Bill gave us a challenge during the month of November. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I wanted to remind us of it this morning because sometimes we just get busy and, and we forget and sometimes we're doing it and it's great. But what he told us uh, this last week was he said, I want you to wake up every morning and, and say to yourself, God, I'm expecting that today you would do your good work through me. Because God created us before the foundation of time, he said, I want you to do my good works. And he gave us as a model uh, for this Romans 12, 1 and 2. So some of you may already have that at home and be reading through it. But I thought every sermon in November, we would just take time to reflect on that together. So would you stand for one more time? We're going to put the prayer up on the screen. And I would love to have you in an um, uh, attitude of prayer. Just read this together, shall we? Good morning, Lord. Because of your great mercy, I offer up myself as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you. This is my worship to you today. Help me not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to discern and do your will today, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen. Great. Thank you. You can have a seat. I think that has uh, the potential, the dynamic, to change the way we live every day. So I, I hope you'll continue to do that. For today, we're starting a new sermon series that we're calling Endurance, and I can guarantee you this is a subject that every one of you can relate to. Every one of us has moments in our lives when we need to endure. And in pre preparing for uh, today, I actually got on my Facebook account, and I wrote to family and friends, and I just wrote to them this question. What does endurance look like to you? And boy, did my comments page explode. It was really, really interesting. And I, I brought just a few of the comments for you this morning to begin to saturate our thoughts about what is endurance. So here is a couple. One of them is a friend who's a military psychologist, just retired this month after 30 years with the Army. And he writes, endurance is making the decision day by day, moment by moment, if needed, to show up. To engage the challenge versus abandoning it. A former high school friend wrote this. 
It's building up strength to get you to the finish line, having strong faith to carry us up the hills and through the valleys. One of my friends who is a three-time cancer survivor wrote this. Endurance is staying the course when you can't see the next thing or the next step or the strength for either one, but knowing that your faith will get you to the end. A cousin in Kansas uh, wrote this. I'm thinking of my dad in his 90s and others like him who are trying to finish the race well after loss, physical decline, and other limitations. A dear friend of mine who is going through recovery wrote this, endurance is doing the right thing when you have lost hope. How telling is that? My mom actually wrote me. <laughs> 94, still communicating with people out there, and she wrote this, endurance was giving birth to you, my dear boy. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And she's right. <laughs> Raising me was enduring. Here's one more. A former college buddy tossed out this statement. Endurance is a long obedience of the will to submit to God's sovereign purposes in my life, even when circumstances dim my view and discourage my heart. It's choosing to hope and believe that based on his oath and his promises, he will keep that which I have committed unto him against that day and present me blameless before the throne of God with great joy. And listen to the last part of his comment. He says, the end is secure and the journey is purposeful. All part of a loving plan to complete his work in us. So folks, we all need endurance. Why? Because life's storms are strong. The ride can be rough. Uh, the weights are long. The pressures are great in life at moments of time. But when we endure through those hard times, then and only then do we begin to reap the benefits. The scripture tells us that the benefits of endurance are joy, harmony, character development, commendation by others, rewards from God. There's just benefit after benefit. So the question for us today is how does this all happen? Where do we get endurance? How do we in, in, uh, encourage ourselves with that, grow in that? That's what this sermon series is all about. So today, we're going to remind ourselves that we are in a race that requires endurance. Uh, we're going to examine what kind of race that is, and we'll give you some clues on how to endure better. So that's what we're doing today. Next week, we're going to dig into something that is truly uh, remarkable that happens when we endure, and that is that we actually find a fresh hope. Now, you would think those would be opposites, right? When you're struggling and trying to endure, where's the hope? Well, it comes out of the endurance. And along with that comes a harmony for life, a peacefulness in life. It's amazing. The week before Thanksgiving, we're going to take some time to uh, remind ourselves that running with endurance gains the notice and commendation of God and others. Think about the people you have known who have endured. Do you admire them? Do you look at how they have stuck in with the race? They have kept going. They haven't given up. And you go, gosh, that is an amazing... We could go through names of people here who have endured, and we applaud them. And God looks down, he says, there are great rewards for endurance. And then Thanksgiving weekend, Pastor Steve is going to come and wrap up our series and just talk about the many benefits of endurance. What are the additional things that God gives us? So 
This morning, if you want to learn more about endurance, and if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, would you open them to the book in the New Testament of Hebrews? We're at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 today. So if you have your Bible app, uh, if you have a physical Bible, um, please open it up. And before we do, let me just ask God to guide our thoughts during this time of prayer and to pray for Israel. We need to keep doing that. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with open Bibles and open hearts and softened minds. Father, we want to learn how to endure better when life closes in on us. Father, we, we want to be reminded of Jesus and his suffering for us and how he endured the cross and how he endured the um, criticisms of hostile men. Father, teach us to keep our eyes focused on him and the finish line of our race. And Father, we also uh, especially lift up the people of Israel today. We continue to pray that, God, you would help them to endure. We pray that you would protect the innocent in this war. Oh, Father, bring justice to the guilty. Give wisdom to the leaders, Father, to bring about peace. We pray that you would release the captives. Father, we ask that you would comfort those in pain and suffering, both Jewish and Palestinian. Father, you care about them all. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ be a place of refuge and strength to all who will turn to it. And Father, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12. Let's take a look, first of all, at uh, the first verse. And you'll notice it says, therefore. So it's actually going back to chapter 11, which many of us know as the Hall of Champions, uh, Christians uh, and Old Testament saints who have endured. So he says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So I want to pause here for a minute, and do you see God's expectation for us there? Do you see it in your text? It's right there. It says that you and I would endure. You'll see it on the screen here in just a second. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It doesn't get much more clear than that. We are called to endurance as Christians. This is God's expectation of us. So look, continuing on in verses 2 through 4. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So pause again for a second. What kind of life did Jesus live to which we should look for encouragement? What was his example? He lived a life of endurance. This is the pattern he lays out for us. He pushes back against sin, and he presents himself as the final solution to it. And we are told, consider him. Think about him. Ponder him. Verses 2 and 3, who for the joy that was set before him endured, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So we see this theme running through the first part of Hebrews 12 of endurance, don't we? Look at verses 5 through 11. This changes the direction just slightly. 
And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My children, do not regard lightly the discipline or training, is what the word means, of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines and trains the one he loves and chastises and corrects every child whom he receives. You want to notice verse 7 and one other verse as we go further. Verse 7 says, it is for discipline or training that you have to endure. That's packed with meaning. It is for training that you have to endure. God is treating you as his sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That was my reminder to take my uh, paint pills. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. Isn't that great? I just forgot to turn it off. <laughs> God is treating us as his children. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline or train? Isn't that a beautiful statement? God is not an absentee dad. He's not an abusive dad. He is a dad who loves his kids and trains them for life. Verse 8, if you are left without training in which all have participated, you are an illegitimate child and not a son. If you don't have this going on in your life, you need to sit back and say, wait a second, am I actually a part of God's family? Because this is how he works. Verse 9 says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined or trained us and we respected them. Not all of us have had that benefit, but there are those dads out there. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined and trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines and trains us for our good. Think about that. The outcome is designed for your good, not your harm. Why? That we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline or training seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's pause and say, what is the purpose of endurance in your life and mine? Why does God allow uh, storms and hard times and prolonged waits and rough rides and intense pressures in our lives? God says here it's to train us, to develop us, to prepare us, to mold our character and our vision and focus in life, to reap the rewards that endurance gives us. So a great purpose. Looking into verse 7, he says, it is for discipline or training that you have to endure. This is why God does it. Look at the last uh, few verses of our text, verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, here's again this statement of, uh, because of all that we've just read, here's something to do. Lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Boy, does that have relevance right now for me, right? <laughs> strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So how does our participation in God's training program encourage us? Well, God tells us it, it lifts us up to take hold of life. It, it strengthens us to walk with greater confidence. It straightens our path and tells us this is the course to take. It heals us, and it, it purifies out the dross and the, the slag and the impurities of our brokenness and our broken condition, and it harmonizes us. It creates a humility that seeks peace rather than conflict. And best of all, we get this holiness from God this sacred setting aside of myself to God alone so that I can reap the benefits of walking with him and ultimately living with him. So 
Here's where you may want to pull out your notes. A lot of that was introduction. But in the time we have left this morning, I want to give you three uh, keys to enduring more or three ideas uh, about how to endure better. Um, three thoughts about making endurance actually a welcomed companion in life rather than a, a, a dreaded um, enemy to be avoided at all costs, okay? So number one, these are on your notes. You can follow along. Remember, you are not alone. Others have endured before you and made it. And the implication is, so can you. We see that in verse 1. So if you look back at that, it says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So because of that, let's lay aside every weight. Let's lay aside the sin that easily besets or clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance. Now, the witnesses there, lest you think this is a courtroom scene where you have a group of witnesses who are stepping forward to tell what they've seen, the word in the original language is martyr, marturon. Since you are surrounded by a, a, a great group of martyrs who have gone before you and endured, remember, you can do the same. These were people who spoke up for Jesus and for God. They were people who um, had faith in God. They believed in the reality of the kingdoms of light and darkness. They spoke to people about how God holds us accountable for every word and deed. And they lived a life that stood up for God, and so the world stood against them. And the author of Hebrews says, look, if, you, if you're not convinced about that, go back one chapter. So take a look in Hebrews 11 where it describes these people. We'll look at verse 32 and a few verses after that. The author of Hebrews says, and what more shall we say? I mean, he's already gone through this huge list of, of Old Testament saints who have followed God. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and, and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. You can begin to think of the stories of the Old Testament, can't you? You can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And you can think of um, stopping the mouths of lions, Daniel. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now we're going into the New Testament era where Mary and Martha got back Lazarus. But then it shifts and it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's a powerful list of endurance, taking a stand for God and the world taking a stand against them. And the author of Hebrews says simply, I want you to remember them. Because whenever you think you have it tough, and, and whenever you can't hold on any longer, remember their lives. They are the witnesses that ultimately said, I did it. I succeeded in serving God well and enjoying the rewards of heaven and all that he has for me. And he says, I want you to engage in the same things they did. There were two things they did. You notice them in the text. Number one is, they put aside every weight. Now, if you like 
the Greek language, the meaning of weight is weight. <laughs> it's a burden, an encumbrance, something that, that weighs us down. And, and it's both good and bad things. It's just something that takes time and energy and slows the process of following God down. So I wonder if I could have a couple of our young adults come on up. You guys are right on the end, Blake. Come on up. We're going to illustrate what this means, all right? They had no idea I was going to do this this morning, but you guys dressed beautifully. You're handsome, good-looking. Come on up. If you could stand here, do either of you run long distance? Have ever wanted to? Okay. This is our highly competitive long-distance competitor this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, and just grab the clear plastic bin from back here and bring it on over. How many of you run long distance or have in the past? Can I just see a few hands? Oh, wow, we've got a good group of you here this morning. Okay. I ran cross-country. Uh, I've never run a marathon. 10K was the most I went. But I'm familiar with how you prepare for a race, and you're right over here. So we're going to imagine this morning he is preparing to run a long-distance, highly competitive race. It's a marathon, and the first thing he's going to need is a fishing pole. <laughs> right there. This is just in case he needs food along the way, right? So he's going to take that along. What else do you need when you're uh, going to run a race? Well, you need a change of clothes. So we've got that here for him this morning. We've got a shirt. Oh, hat. There you go. T-shirt, shorts, toilet paper. <laughs> Just in case. There that goes again. Okay. He's going to need a tripod, right? Now, he probably can do his own selfies, but this is for when the group is together. Oh, you also need, can you put that on him right there? He's going to start to get heavily weighed here. There's his tackle box. He's going to fish. He's got to have that. And, of course, he needs a queen-size mattress to go with him. Can you help him put that on for us, please? Now, I have a question for you. Thank you so much, boy. Does he look like he's ready? Is there anything wrong with this picture? No, there is nothing wrong with this picture unless he wants to run a race. Now, if he's going camping and fishing with friends, this actually looks quite appropriate, doesn't it? It depends on his purpose. Thank you guys so much. Would you give them a round of applause? Thank you very much. Catch anything? No. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thank you, guys. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Are you here simply to enjoy camping and fishing, doing all of this fun stuff that just kind of builds into our lives? A lot of it's good. But God says if you're going to run the Christian race, you have to think about it as a highly competitive long-distance race. And so you have to begin to look at all of the things that take your time and energy, the things that would weigh you down, whether in a good or bad sense, and begin to push them aside. Let me give you a list of a few of the things that came to my mind this week of weights we can feel today. We can feel the weight of an overemphasis of the opinion of others. What do people think of me that can limit our faith? our service to God. There can be a love for the things we own, which ultimately become things that own us. 
They take our time, our energy, our attention. They have to be fixed, cared for. Our personal fears, things that cause us to pull back and struggle. The cares of life, feelings like resentment or greed or anger or hate or even shame and guilt can be weights that hold us back and weigh us down. And and honestly, folks, I think the weights are different for for all of us. We're all at different places in life. But God says to us, look, if you're going to run with endurance, you've got to get rid of the weight. And he says, secondly, you not only have to strip down, get ultralight, reduce the drag, you also need to lay aside the sin which so easily clings to us. Now, I want you to notice in the text, it's not a sin or sins, it's the sin. Do you see that there? Look at your text. The Greek says, the sin which so easily entangles us. What is that sin? Isn't that something we should understand and say, well, I don't want to do that because it's going to slow me down, it's going to cling to me, it's going to entangle me as I try to follow God in this race. I want to put aside the weights, but I also need to know what this sin is. The sin is doubt. The whole book of Hebrews is about faith, trusting God. What is the opposite of that? It's doubt. It's doubt of God's goodness, doubt of God's promises. It's doubt of his power. It's doubt of his perspective. It's a doubt of his uh, ultimate uh, purposes for my life. F.B. Meyer, one of my many favorite commentators, wrote this. Surely it is most natural to hold that the sin which so uh, easily clings to us is nothing else than the sin of unbelief, which is the opposite pole to the faith, so highly eulogized. If that be a correct exegesis, it sheds new light on unbelief. It is no longer an infirmity, it's a sin. Much unbelief springs from moral causes. The soul gets wrong with God and says it, it isn't sure whether there is a God. The windows of the mind are allowed to be covered with grime, and then it doubts whether the sun is shining. The faculties of the inner life get clogged with neglect and refuse to do their appointed office in revealing the spiritual and the unseen. We would be wiser, we should be wiser, if we dealt with much of the unbelief of our time as a disease of the spiritual life. Think about that. Rather than an intellectual challenge. Its source is largely moral. So do not set agnostics to study evidences. But show them that their temper of heart is the true cause of their darkness and unbelief. God has given each of us powers of discerning his truth, which will certainly perceive and and love it. And where the reverse is the case, it is often due to some moral cause, to some beam in the eye, to some secret indulgence, which is destructive of all spiritual perception. Put away known sin. Read the Bible. Even though you doubt its inspiration, wait, pray, live up to all the light you have, and unbelief will drop away as the old leaves from the evergreens in spring. I think he nails it pretty well. And the author of Hebrews says, look, you've got to take the weights of life, that which seems harmless and oftentimes good, but which is going to slow you down in your service and pursuit of God, you've got to put that aside. And, and you have to take this sin of doubt, this choice to question God that deceives us and sidetracks us in our faith, and you've got to deal with that. John Piper wrote, uh, had, gave a message called Running with the Witnesses. 
So let me close this first point with his comments. He says, I take the witnesses of Hebrews 12.1 to be the saints who have run the race before us and have gathered, as it were, along the marathon route to say through the testimony of their lives, by faith I finished, you can too. This is the way all the witnesses of Hebrews 11 are helping us. They have gathered along the sidelines of our race and they hold out their wounds and their joys and they give us the best high fives we've ever got and they say, go for it. You can do it. By faith, you can finish. You can lay the weights down in the sin. By faith, by the assurance of better things hoped for, you can do it. I did it. I know it can be done. Run, run! Hmm. Almost makes me think of Gandalf, but it was a different setting, right? So they stand there, embedded in the pages of Scripture, visualized in our family and friends who have run the race and died and passed on. And they say, he says, there are dozens and hundreds and thousands of those who have gone before and who have finished the race by faith and surround us like a great cloud of witnesses who say it can be done. By faith, it can be done. So before we go to the next slide, I want you to think for just a minute, who in your life has run the race well, endured, and is reaping the rewards of God? Just think in your minds. Who have you seen who has done that? And we have a pretty good list of people who have passed away here from this church recently who have endured and finished the course of their race, and they are with God in all of his reward now, reaping the benefits of their endurance. Multiple couples come to my mind, multiple individuals, and they should to yours as well. And God says to us, look, here's some advice on how to run the race. So let's go ahead and put up this final slide for this first point. He says, this is uh, John Piper, how to run the race. Find a trainer, find a trainer, Rely on the Holy Spirit for his help. Follow a game plan. Read God's word. Work out regularly. Put your faith into action. Act on it. No pain, no gain. No pain, great gain. So remember, you're not alone. Others have endured before you and made it, and they are saying to you, you can make it too. Number two. Remember, you need a joy to look forward to when you're in the midst of suffering and struggle. And Jesus is our model. We find that in verses 2 through 4, where it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. And what's the very next word? Endured the cross. Despising its shame. In that culture, you were uh, crucified buck naked, exposed to the world, unable to do anything to hide your nakedness. He despised that shame. He says, it doesn't matter to me because I have this joy before me. I will ultimately be seated at the right hand of the throne of God as an intercessor for other individuals. And verse 3 says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. Because we haven't shed our blood yet in, in pursuing God, but he did. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, in the Greek, this is not an occasional glance, right? Like when you're driving your car and you see a billboard and you look at it really quick, oh, there it is, it's gone. This is a fixed and focused stare. So I want you to do an experiment with, the, with me this morning. You see the cross up here? I want you to take your eyes and focus laser focus intently 
drill your vision just into that image. Look at it hard. Stare at it. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this. Don't stop. Keep doing it. What else do you see? Nothing. Because that occupies the intent focus of your mind. The cross. Now you might see the wood behind it, but you're not going to be seeing peripherally a lot of other things. And that's why the author of Hebrews says to us, fix your eyes on Jesus. He needs to fill the frame of your vision every day. This is why I think Bill's uh, prayer for us is so good, because it starts the day off saying, God, how do you want to work through me today? What are you going to do in my life? And how is that going to look? And this is necessary. Why? Well, notice in the text, he's the founder of our faith. Literally, in the New Testament, he says he's the author of it. He came up with the idea, and he published the book. It's totally his idea. And he says he's the perfecter of our faith. Literally, he alone can bring you and your faith to full maturity. And that is what empowers you and I to endure. Consider Jesus and his endurance, and it gives us a clue as to how to endure ourselves as we think about it. It says he endured the cross, he despised the shame, he gained the victory, all because he had a joy that was set before him. Now, commentators have talked for a long time about what was that joy. Some of them look at the sitting at the throne of God and say, well, that's the joy. It's in the text. Well, actually, if you look at the whole of of, uh, Hebrews, it, it isn't just that. The joy of Jesus is you and me. He looked beyond the cross to what it would accomplish, the redemption of mankind from the sins of their humanity. And he said, I am going to kind of skip over in my vision the cross, and I am going to concentrate on you folks, all of you, all who have gone throughout history as Christians. And that joy of giving them new life, transformed living, hope, promises, that's what's going to help me endure. So when you're enduring, when I'm enduring things, what do we need? We need a joy. We need something to look beyond the endurance and to say, that is what I'm going to cling to. That's going to help me get through. Those of you who are back in school, what is the joy you're looking forward to? Thanksgiving break? (laughs) Christmas break? Summer, right? Doesn't that at times you think about, okay, okay, I can get through this. Right now, I've got 53 students at Biola who are going through that process, right? They get Thanksgiving break off in my classes. You should never have to do homework during a break. Is that right? Right? Right. So they have that joy before them. What is our joy? Spurgeon writes this. The joy that was set before Jesus was principally the joy of saving you and me. He says, I know it was the joy of fulfilling his father's will, of sitting down on his father's throne, of being made perfect through suffering, but still... I know that this is the grand, great motive of the Savior's suffering, the joy of saving us. It was this joy that made Christ strong to endure in the day of his sorrow, and joy must make you also strong to endure until the end. He had the joy of anticipated victory. It was set before him, and so he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. He ran with a heavy cross on his back, and yet he ran faster than you or I have run. He ran because he had more joy than we have. Think about that. He ran to the cross 
because he had more joy. Can we run in our endurance because of our joy? Spurgeon goes on to say, so let us live in the joy of heaven. Let us live in the joy of ultimate victory. And this will enable us to bear all the toils and trials of our present life. So we have to remember you're not alone. Others have gone before you and endured and made it, and you can too. We have to remember we need a joy to look forward to. Jesus is our model. And lastly, we have to remember God is training us for holiness. He's not randomly allowing pain in our life without cause. He has a purpose. We read earlier verses 5 through 11. It's about training and discipline. Look again at verse 7. It is for discipline, training, that you have to endure. This is why God is doing it. But look again down at verse 10. For our fathers trained us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Sometimes it was great, sometimes it wasn't so great. It's what they thought. But God trains us for our good that we may share his holiness and enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We are God's children. And he, as I said earlier, he's not an absentee dad. He's not an abusive dad. He is an attentive dad who truly cares how we turn out. And so how does he train us? The Jesus way. Through suffering and trial and hard circumstances. These are his tools of training. It's so interesting to me, the word here for train is, is not the typical word. It's the word gymnazo, or if you put it in English, gymnazo. How many of you like to go to the gym? Oh, there's one or two of us. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to get back to the gym and begin to rebuild. I enjoy that. I've done it ever since I played football in high school and wrestled and you know, did all the other sports. I got engaged with the gym. I love the, the well, I don't love the pain, but I love the progress. I love the, the smell of sweat. And isn't, I know women are going, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> but you know that something's happening when you have that in a gym. And God says to us, look, whether you like Pilates or walking or gym, his chosen method is the gym. And he puts us there with the weights and the pressure and the difficulty of straining, stretching muscles. And he says, I have a purpose for that. It's not without reason. It is to cause you to become like Jesus who suffered for us so that ultimately you can live with Jesus and enjoy the rewards of a life well lived. And that's so important for us because it's, if we lose sight of that, guess what? We think God is awful. He's hurting me. Why doesn't he rescue me? What's going on? But the moment we understand I am being trained by God to become greater and stronger, then it's a good thing. So let me begin to wrap this up with J.C. Riley. He writes, affliction is one of God's medicines. <laughs> by it, he often teaches lessons which could be learned in no other way. By it, he often draws souls away from sin in the world, which would otherwise have perished everlastingly. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is a greater one. Think about that for a second. We pursue health, but God says, well, look, wait a second. Sanctified, sanctified disease is a greater one. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what um, 
all naturally desire, but losses and crosses are far better for us. They lead us to Christ. So let us beware of murmuring in the time of trouble. Let us settle it firmly in our minds that there is a meaning, a needs be, and a message from God in every sorrow that falls upon us. There are no lessons so useful as those learned in the school of affliction. There is no commentary that opens up the Bible so much as sickness and sorrow. The resurrection, among, uh, resurrection morning will prove that many of the losses of God's people were in reality eternal gains. So God does this so that we share his holiness. That is this being set apart to enjoy him fully. Set apart from everything else to enjoy God fully. And the fruit of righteousness, this fresh beginning with new power and a right standing before God. He says those are gifts when you endure. So we don't want to forget this. We don't want to take his training lightly. We don't want to get tired of his corrections because his motive is always love and it is always for our good. Let me share one last story with you, and then we're going to take communion together. And I hope this passage has really softened our hearts for communion this morning as we think of what Jesus has done. Just a couple of months ago, on August 30th, uh, the world's longest certified road race was held in the Jamaica neighborhood of Queens, New York. Some of you may have heard about it. It was uh, the 27th annual Sri Chinmoy self-transcendence race. This is showing the end of it. Now, you notice the T-shirt that they're wearing. What is the number? 3,100 miles. That's how long this race is. Over a period of 52 days, runners, and these are a select group of ultra-athletes, are invited to take, play, take um, part in this race. This year, there were 14 and over a period of 52 days, from 6 in the morning till midnight, to end the race successfully at the end of 52 days, you have to run 59.6 miles per day. Now, they do all kinds of stuff to prepare the athletes and provide for them. They provide vegetarian meals. They've got a place where they can rest during the night. Uh, they've got people on bikes riding around because the course is only half a mile long. And it goes around a neighborhood, a park, and then comes back again. So can you imagine? Almost 60 miles a day going around a half-mile course for 52 days. Now, the man who created this race 27 years ago, um, his name is um, Sri Chinmoy, called it the self-transcendence race on purpose because he said, and here, let me uh, get back to where he quoted himself. He says, my purpose is to push the runners to the point of exhaustion where their physical prowess reach, reaches its limit. By the way, of the 14 who raced this year, six finished. He purposely designed the race so that for a runner to continue on, they have to rely on something other than their own significant abilities. They hit a wall, and there's nothing else left. And so his goal was to push them beyond and to say, what are you going to look to to finish this race? Because your energy is gone. Your strength is absolutely wiped out. What are you going to do? How are you going to transcend this? This is much like Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 3.17. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. 
what do you look to? Well, if we remember that we are in a long-distance ultra-marathon race of the Christian walk, and we get to these walls that we hit, and we just say, God, I can't go on. This physical disease is too debilitating. God, I can't go on. I feel so overwhelmed. God, I can't go on. Whatever it might be, it's at that point that God, along with the man who created this race, says, you need something more. You desperately need God's help if you're going to finish well. And that's why Hebrews 12, 1 is here. He says, remember, you're not alone. Countless others have gone before you, and they are standing along the race, yelling to you, run, run, you can make it. You're not alone. There is a joy to look forward to that keeps us enduring. The reward of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of the body of Christ, so many of these things that encourage us. And remember, God is training you for holiness, to separate you from the bad of the world, from the things that would uh, distract you and ultimately deceive you. He is, he is training you to be holy, and he wants your life to count for something more than just a moment. So I think this is a great time for us actually to take communion together. Hopefully you've already had a chance to snag a, a cup from the front entrance. There's some down here to the uh, left and right. So if you would grab a communion cup right now, Ben is going to play for us, and I'd like to just remind us, as you're getting your cups out, that Jesus himself said, look, I want you to remember me. That was the whole purpose of the evening together, was to kind of set the trajectory of what he wanted them to do and be when he had the Last Supper with him. But he says to them, remember me. As often as you do this, remember me. Why would he say that? He wanted us to consider his life, how he endured, the joy that he had, the difference he was going to make. And so if you take the bread out for a moment, he said, this represents my body, my broken body. If God is going to atone for the sins of humanity, he has to become a human to pay for the sins of humanity. And so he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And I would like to suggest this morning that our bodies need to have a similar purpose. We can't atone for our sins, but we can serve the God who has redeemed us. And we can take our bodies and say, I want this to be for something more than the moment. I want it to be for the joy of serving God, the joy of in, in, uh, encouraging others. So he said, as often as you take it, remember me. So why did he pick up a cup of wine? The meal of the Jewish Passover tells us it was the fourth cup. It was called the cup of redemption, reminding them that God had redeemed them from Egypt. So he picks that cup, and he says, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. So he reminds them, you've got an old covenant, the Old Testament, but there's this new thing, this new agreement with God that means my blood covers all of your sins if you will put your faith in me. All of the past mistakes, all the past hurts and pains, there's a clean slate when you come to the blood of Jesus Christ. And I would like to suggest to us today that none of us, I believe, has yet shed our blood 
in living for Christ. There are people in our world today, Christians, who have. But he says, you haven't gotten to that point yet. But at the point you're at, how are you using your lifeblood for the service of the king to benefit him? Will you be holy? Will you be righteous as you pursue him and endure with him? So he says to them, this is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And Heavenly Father, your intention for us today is just to gently remind us that you are for us. That we can anticipate in this world to have difficulty. We should never think that we will go through life without pain, struggle, sorrow, storms of life, weights that seem unbearable. But in it all, you remind us this is the path of Jesus. Scripture says he became perfect through suffering. He matured in his walk as a man, as the God-man, to be ready to sacrifice himself. And so, God, we pray that we would remember these things today. We're not alone. You're with us. Others have gone before us. They surround us. There is a joy that we look forward to beyond the pain and struggle. And God, this is, this is our gym. This is where you train us to become stronger, to lift up weak hands, strengthen weak knees, so that we might have hope and peace. God, I pray your blessing on Trinity Church this morning, on each one of us who has come this morning. You dearly love us, and you want us to understand how to live life well, how to endure well. Embed what we need to know in our hearts and minds. Take us from this place with joy. And Father, may we continue to be molded into the image of Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, if the struggle's been hard, life just seems overwhelming, we have people who will be down front here who would love to pray with you. If you just need to praise God and you want to do that up front here as well, we'd love to have you do that with uh, our prayer warriors. For now, God bless you. Enjoy the coffee. Enjoy the conversations. Have a great week.